When it comes down to it, we all want the brand we're building to be a household name. On the Whole Brand Podcast, we unpack the four key elements that create a whole brand. Your internal culture, your customer engagement, your marketing and messaging, and your visual identity, and they all start with your why. Each week, we cover one of the key elements with a brand leader, unpacking their why and what we can learn from where they are today. Together, let's make your brand a household name. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Whole Brand Podcast. I am your host, Ian Stewart. Uh, and this episode, we are going to be covering really the internal culture section of the Whole Brand Framework. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about how space plays a huge role in developing a culture of an organization, uh, as well as some great uh, turns that this conversation took around creativity, uh, as well as other pieces of customer engagement and uh, and company culture. Uh, and so we are interviewing Doug Shapiro, who is the president of research and insights at OFS. OFS is a uh, international brand selling commercial office furniture, has been doing so for multiple generations, just incredibly high quality stuff that's really built uh, to uh, not only have uh, good desks and chairs and things like that, but to create spaces that breed productivity, creativity, workplace wellness, and so many other aspects that go into what make up a great place. Uh, to do work in. Doug has been at OFS for 15 years and his time there has uh, allowed him to hold several roles including brand manager, director of A&D sales, VP of marketing, regional vice president for the Central USA. Um, he is well respected uh, and an expressive thought leader in the design industry. We're really excited to have Doug on the podcast today so let's jump into this conversation. Doug, thank you so much for coming on the Whole Brand Podcast today. It is uh, it is just an honor to have you on. Awesome, thank you, Ian. It's good to see you again. It's it's been a little while. It has been definitely, but I'm glad we can uh, we can reconnect and and have this conversation here. Uh, you know, a big part of the Whole Brand framework uh, that that we uh, talk about is really having a, a why around what you do. Uh, and so mm. I'd love to hear from you how you kind of got into uh, the commercial furniture industry and what's that why that, that keeps you coming back and keeps you uh, energized and doing this work? Sure, sure. Well, um, I'm going to start you maybe partway in. <clears throat> how I got here, you know, was was through personal relationships, right? And that's how a lot of people find, kind of find their career and their job. Um, actually, you know what? I'll, I'm going to take you on a different detour. Okay. Here's, here's, here's what I think. I You always hear follow your passion, mm. follow your passion. Right. Um, and for me, like when I look back on it, I didn't have a passion for furniture or even design or one particular thing or another. Um, but I was a passionate person. And so I kind of led with my passion more yeah. than followed my passion. And so what I found is, you know, if you're with the right people and you're doing good in the world, uh, it's easy to be passionate about your work. And that's what I found. Now, certain people cer certainly do have a passion. I was just not one of those people that was just born to do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, so for me, it was a little bit of a different route, but I will tell you when I was, when I was at, at OFS, so we, we make office furniture, uh, a big chunk of my career was in product and product design. Um, what I had found over my 18 years there now at OFS was that I, I'm way more interested in the context in which the product sits than I am the product itself. 
And so that's led me to eventually where I am now, which is more on research insights and, uh, and of course, hosting uh, the podcast, Imagine a Place, where I do get to explore the context of workplace, of healthcare, of education spaces, and where these products actually will exist. That's that's such a, a, a great a great thing because there's so many people that just think like they have to find their thing, and really, that that lesson of like, if you follow your passion, your thing can come to you regardless of what the industry is or whatever the work is. But that that passion is is a is an important piece. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I think it also takes a lot of pressure off of people trying to like figure out what they're supposed to do. You know, I mean, I wasn't supposed to be in furniture. <laughs> I just, you know, I took advantage of, of a great group of people that, that had good intentions. And like, if you find that, that can be pretty special. You know, it doesn't matter what that is. That can be pretty special and you can be passionate about the work you're doing there. Yeah, there's no uh, you know college guidance counselor who's saying you know furniture is where you need to go. That's <laughs> <Right>. exactly, <laughs> exactly. So true. And there's so many things out there like that. You know, you know, who, someone out there is doing toilet seats. I yeah, don't know. Right? You know, I mean, <laughs> and it matters. It matters. And I I hope they're having a blast. They probably are. <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, we first met. Oh, this is probably, man, I mean, it was pre-COVID, so this was six years ago almost, maybe, five, six years ago, uh, filming yeah. a, a video for Source4, one of your reps, uh, around human needs-based design. Uh, and I, I, it was the first time that I had taken the office furniture industry uh, and gone, oh, this is, this is bigger than desks and chairs. This is a, a, a bigger thing. So I'd love for you to just kind of explain that philosophy around human needs-based design and, and really what that brings to an organization. Awesome. Uh, yeah, happy to get into that. So uh, when, when you design anything, you always start with the context in mind. You start by understanding the environment, the, the things around it, who it's for, all that. Um, there's a lot of factors in workplace. You know, you've got uh, budget, you've got space constraints, you've got technology, you've got uh, the branding of a company, you've got flexibility, all those things. Um, but before you before you even engage in those constraints, you need to start with the human, right? Who is it for? Um, and and even that understanding of human-centered design continues to get finessed and more well-rounded as we, as we ourselves, I think, understand what good human-centered design is. I'll give an example. Um, I think spaces for a long time, uh, even ones that were human-centered, were um, designing for the mean, mm. designing for the average human, right? rather than designing for all the humans. And if I asked you to describe an average person, like how would you even do that, right? There's no such thing (laughs) as a normal person, you know? We're all so different. We've got, you know, some of us want lots of stimulation. We want to be in a high pace, you know, fast-paced environment. That's where we do our best work. Other people need to be in a quiet space by themselves, and that's where they do their best work. And some people, um, you know, you want to be around nature and other people want to be in a city. There's just so many, there's just so many things that make us all different. Uh, Our spaces need to be a little less precious and a little less of a peanut butter spread, you know, Mm -hmm. and be more uh, eclectic and offer variety in 
the activities that you can do there in the colors and the schemes and the, and so it's, um, I think that is just one of many little changes in how we understand human centered design that people are bringing into workplace now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really that, that idea of there is no more, you know, cubicle wall call center being just the, the best fit for an organization. It's just, it's such a bigger vision because you're, you're looking at each person instead of just saying what does, what works at the cheapest level. It's no, what actually helps people work the best. Exactly. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to look at, you know, you know, an organization with 300 people and say, we're going to ask everybody, you know, we're going to tailor each space for each person. But um, there, there are ways that you can do that better, um, where you establish personas. And you understand, you know, that in your organization, you've got these different personas, you've got people that need these different things. And then you can allow the space to allow people to have the freedom in the space to choose uh, the space that's right for them, whether because of their persona or because of that's the activity that they have at hand and that's the best place to do it. So choice is a huge thing in how we're thinking about place in the future. And now more than ever, I mean, choice is a screaming white hot topic, right? (laughs) Uh, And if you'll allow me to stray a little bit, I had a recent conversation with a colleague about about the office needing kind of an image rebrand. Mm. Okay. We compared it to this was, so this is Lydia Moya, a content strategist I work with. Yeah. And she and I were going back and forth and we compared it to uh, the side of broccoli that you have when you're a kid. Okay. Right. Now <laughs> when you're a kid, your parents made you eat that broccoli. If you're like, if, if, if your parents were like my parents, right. They're going to make you eat that broccoli oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you end up hating it. Right. Because that was all you, you know, you didn't have a choice. Well, broccoli is good and broccoli is good for you. (laughs) But because for so long we were forced to eat it, we don't like it. And the office, I feel like, is in a little bit of an image crisis right now. Like for so long, we were forced to go to these places. Um. And then, you know, it became the butt of many jokes. It became, you know, <laughs> like this dreaded place. Yeah. When in reality, what if what if we were given choice all along? What if it was what if we didn't just suddenly have a choice, but we had choice the whole time? Would we feel differently about the office today? Mm. Would we use it more like a great tool in our toolkit, you know, where we can come in and be productive and engage with others, you know? Or, you know, I, I, I venture to say we would. And then also like broccoli, it depends on how you prepare it. Yeah. You know, if you <laughs> boil it, you know, just throw it on a plate. Oh, you know, no, thank you. So broccoli can be good. It can be good. The office can be good. <laughs> that, that reminds me, you know, my dad uh, worked for uh, kind of big tech companies uh, after he got out of the military. And they were that first wave of people that they were doing remote work for. Uh, and he had gone into the office for years, and then they were like, hey, you don't have to come in anymore. And he was really on the side of, you know, at least one day a week, I'm still going to go back into the office. Because he realized that, like, choosing to do this allows me to have deeper connection. It allows me to be able yeah. to collaborate better. And, and it's, it's exactly what you were speaking to. And, you know, now they've gone completely remote, and so he doesn't have the op- opportunity to do it because the office oh. doesn't exist. But <laughs> it's... 
it, it, I mean, it's that same thing of realizing there, there is a value in all of it and it's how, it's how it's presented. And if it's presented well, and it's also presented in a way that shows that we're valuing the people that are, are using the space, then that could completely change, change the way offices uh, of any kind are, are viewed. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that that last comment you made is extremely valuable. Uh, I'd like to go into that a little deeper. You said uh, the office can show that we value the people that are in it. I, I do think our workspace sends uh, cues out to our people mm -hmm. all the time. There's a great quote that came from uh, a speaker I had heard at workspaces, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he said that, Culture works when values create behavior and decisions. Mm. I love that. And so I'm thinking, okay, if culture is working when values create decisions, if you're, if you're design, if you're making a workplace right now, if you're rethinking your workplace right now, you're making decisions. If that workplace, so that workplace will ultimately show your staff how how much you care about them yeah and it's like if you value your people then that place needs to reflect it because if it doesn't well that's just an indicator that you don't have the culture yeah i think you know that that speaks to organizations as a whole i think struggle to put together mission vision value statements because they all are revolved around you know shareholder profits and and all of that stuff and really saying like are the things we value, are they actually able to be applied throughout the business? You know, in, mm. our, in our marketing, in our culture, in our office space, in our visual branding, in all of the pieces that make up a brand. If your values can't be showed through all of that, they, they really aren't values at that point. <laughs> right on. And I, I think that is, um, that is where people can think of the workplace as a, as a great opportunity. Mm. Uh, a great opportunity. It can be the body language of your company. You know, that's a, that's a great statement. The body language of your company. That that's yeah. awesome. So what do you think, uh, since we're talking so much about culture, how, how much do you think good design really affects culture and productivity on top of that? Cause I know as, as business owners, they're like, well, culture is great, but are we getting stuff done? Is also another big piece that, you know, the senior leadership does have to worry about. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, space uh, plays a major role and we're, we're understanding it more all the time. I mean, the way we understand how place impacts people now versus five years ago, a decade ago, vastly different. And the more we understand it, the more important the role of the interior designer becomes. You know, the one, one of the great examples is just lighting, the way we understand how lighting impacts our mood, our sleep, our performance. Um, so that's just one little tiny nuanced, you know, thing, sunlight, access to sunlight and the furniture you put in the walls you build, right. All of that impacts the mood of your people. Um, biophilia is another one. How, when we bring nature into space, nature has an impact on our creativity. It has an impact on our stress levels. Um, so, so right away, there's another major factor that we can, uh, that we we understand more than in the past well-being like we're understanding uh toxins in the environment we're understanding uh, emotional well-being mental well-being so we're understanding well-being in ways that we've never understood before um even the the 
feel a sense of vulnerability mm. when you're in a space a vast open space with your back to a, a large open area. Like there's something very primally uh, uh, debilitating about that. Right. Oh, yeah. And so like those types of things. So like there's, there's, um, there's kind of human nature that we're understanding biology that we're understanding. Um, and we all know just intuitively, there are spaces that uplift us and spaces that depress us, you know? Uh, so the, you know, I think sometimes we underestimate that even in our own homes and when we were all sent back to work in our homes, right? Um, I think a lot of people went too long without trying to make their own space great. Mm. So no matter where you are, you know, if you're in your, if you're in your home office, you have to go get sunlight. Like you have to make it a routine. If you're in the basement, you need to go upstairs, go get sunlight. Uh, you need a plant. Bring yourself some plant life into your office. Um, put some artwork up. Make your space joyful. Invest in yourself. And I think um, the the if even if you took an entire day just to invest in your place, uh, you'll get that back tenfold. Mm. That's that's a I think that's a good lesson too. You know, I think so many times we think like that's a great idea to like invest in place and spend time designing something but what does that get us on the other side? And I think it's, it's realizing that when you actually create spaces that breed, you know, creativity and comfort and relationship that you're going to reap the benefit on the, on the other side of that, always investing in those types of things are actually going to reap better productivity and better service on the other side. I mean, people who feel good about their space are going to treat their customers better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They'll treat the customers better. They'll, you know, they'll feel more joy at work. I don't think we talk enough about joy mm. and laughter in, in a, in a workplace. Um, I think that's one of the, that's one of the biggest threats. I feel like now we've had some laughter on this call, so that's yeah. a good thing, but zoom, the, the, the world of zoom and, and the remote world of work has become so efficient. Mm. It's become too efficient. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, conversations are brief. Uh, they're to the point they're scheduled back to back to back, you know, um, we have found great efficiency in working from home, but I think we're missing some of the joy and laughter and empathy and connectivity that comes when you're in person. And that is like, if I, if I could measure one thing in a company and that one, one, that one single metric could give me the most insight into that company, I think it would be laughter. Yeah. Because laughter indicates good health. It indicates good relationships with people. It's also, um, it communicates openness, the willingness to share ideas, to be silly, to think outside the box. And creativity is huge right now. I mean, it's, it's going to, it's, it's the future. You know, as AI kicks in, we're all going to need to be creatives. Yeah. You know, hands down. Uh, so, so if you go a week at work without laughing, I would say that's a, that's a pretty poor indicator of your culture, mm. of the health of your people, of the creative mindset that they have. Um, so, so I look at laughter, you know, and joy as things we need to, we need to keep in the workplace conversation. Oh, I think that's great. I heard a quote a while back that says, you know, in, in today's culture, we're all happy as hell, but we don't have any joy. 
And, oh, and that's I think so it's, good. it's just, it's that idea of like, what is the difference between actual human connection and the things that make us happy? You know, it's, it's such a, a, a dichotomy that I think, you know, even the, you were speaking to the zoom piece, you know, with the instant message world, you know, I think about companies like IBM and things like that, that, you know, the whole instant message world has been huge in those companies for forever. And now that we've switched so much to zoom, it can almost seem like, well, we've gained back some of that personality. But all we've done is we've put a face to the impersonal communication that we're, that we're continuing to use. <laughs> that's so true. Um, that's so true. There is, you know, there's communication, I think, is, is absolutely key. There are three numbers, 55, 38, and 7, that break communication down. 55% of what you feel from someone when you're communicating is nonverbal. Mm. 38% is how I say what I'm saying. And only 7% is actually what I'm saying. What you're saying. So, you know, to strip away over half of the power of communication, you know, is, is a lot. And that's what's happening. That's yeah. what's happening. And so we're missing some of the, the cues that we send each other. You know, we're missing opportunities to empathize with people or to go a little deeper, ask another question, you know, because we're not picking up um, all the nonverbal communication that goes on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's just it's built into who we are as humans, you know, whether whether you believe in a, a creation story or whatever we are, we are beings that were made to be relational. And and so that's that's the idea is really if you you create a space that that people want to be in and, and promotes all of those key things that we were innately, you know, are programmed into us, people are going to choose to want to engage in those. You know, whether you're introvert, extrovert, at some point you are going to want that connection. And I think that's it's exactly what you're speaking to with the importance of place, the importance of design in this is that what we're doing is we're breeding good people out of what we've created from a space. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I had to write down uh, joy versus happiness yeah. because I just feel like there's something there and I, I want to spend some time thinking about that. And I want to ask some of my, my guests about that too. Absolutely. It, it was a, it was a, a, a pretty aha moment when I heard that. I can't remember who, who yeah. said it, but it was, it was a couple of years ago. I've been using that for a while, but, uh, and so let's move on a little bit to talk about your podcast. So imagine a place how did how did your podcast get birthed out of uh, out of this research out of this work that you were doing? I, I have to be honest. It it started less as an exploration on a research side, and it started more on um, just. It started more internally. Actually, it started how how do we tell the story of of OFS in a different way, like by sharing the values of the people inside the company. And this started five years ago. And uh, it, it was it was a journal, just a bunch of articles. And we spotlighted our people and kind of what we're interested in, just so that we, we don't always think of companies as people, but you know, there's good people working here and we wanted to share that. So um, that evolved into understanding and seeing the power of, of sharing these stories. And we thought, well, we could do this for our clients. So we started to share the stories of designers. Um, and then um, very quickly, we understood that this was an opportunity, not just to spotlight people, but to lift up the importance that place plays in our lives. Mm. And um, 
and that's when we came out with the podcast and videos and, and so much more. So it's kind of a well-rounded media effort that centers around place, but also just spotlights great people in our industry. And we're in such a creative field and there is no shortage of stories and, and laughter and, and good inspiration. And so there's a lot of factors at play here, but let's just start with the space. I mean, imagine yourself in a corporate boardroom <laughs> and imagine yourself at the foot of your kid's bed. Where do you feel more at home? Yeah. Where do you feel safer? You know, where do you feel more energized to share a silly idea? Right. Um, we need to, so, so right away. Okay. I think we need to challenge ourselves to again, rebrand work and workplace to be more creative, uh, to be, to, to support more creative thinking. Um, judgment is another huge one. Judgment is the enemy of creativity. Yeah. And so if, uh, you know, if I think about that, there was absolutely no advantage to playing it safe with my kids, you know, but how many times in a meeting do we play it safe? You know, we say the safe thing instead of the wild thing yeah. because we're too afraid of judgment from our colleagues. And so I think there is a, there is a challenge that we need to, we need, we need to take ownership. So if you're listening, like be a steward of crazy ideas, you know, like allow those things to happen. One of the ways that I started to do this inside my own teams is, is give those ideas a name. So we call them stepping stones. Mm. So if you've got a silly idea or crazy idea, don't say, Oh, I've got this. I know this is a terrible idea, but you know, how many times do you hear that yeah. like all the time? Um, instead of that, just say, Hey, here's a stepping stone, say your silly idea. And then it might be a stepping stone to a better idea. Like so many of the good ideas we have are because we heard someone else's silly one, yeah. you know, and it, and we were inspired and we thought of something differently. So, um, I think judgment is huge. And then even just the time of night, I, I was thinking about that. It's nighttime. All my emails are done. I had nothing tugging at me. Hmm. So I was able to think more clearly, like during your workday, there's all these, e you know, emails and notices and zoom chats and all this stuff popping up. And so you are constantly in what we will call the, uh, urgent and non-important world. Yeah. And creativity happens in the not urgent, but very important world. Yeah. And that's where I feel like, okay, that's another reason I'm more creative at night on my kid's bed. So, you know, you, you have to just make a conscious effort to understand where creativity comes from and develop places, relationships, mindsets that support that. Yeah. I think that's an important lesson too for, for business owners with their employees is to realize they have to be able to create, if they want the best creative work out of their people, they have to create that spot. And they have to create that spot both in, in physical place, but also allowing people to dictate those creative times. You know, there's these stories about all the Greek philosophers and how they used to wake up at midnight and do their creative work from midnight to 2 a.m. because it was, you know, when their brain functioned the best and when everything was quiet. And obviously we don't want to do that, <laughs> but <laughs> it's being able to realize like, not only is the place where you're giving people the uh, the option or the ability to be creative important, but giving them the time to go, 
hey, I'm not putting a deadline on this. You just, you just be creative and you do your, your, your work there. I think that's an important lesson. Yeah, I, I think that time is underestimated. I think actually it's a, it's a myth that we've been living with for a long time is that, oh, under pressure, that's when you're your most creative, yeah. you know? <laughs> and that's so not the truth, you know? Uh, under pressure is when you actually retreat, right? And you focus on the essentials, you know, you focus on survival, human nature kicks in, right? And it's, you know, water, food, shelter, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's when we are completely secure with no deadlines that we are free to wander. I think that's when, uh, that's when, uh, like, why so many good ideas happen on a drive or in the shower, because you're just in like autopilot, yeah. you know? Absolutely. It reminds me, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but Chick-fil-A kind of released their new drive-through system uh, in the midst of COVID and how they designed all the drive-throughs at the restaurants and the employees. And, and I heard that that's actually a system they've been working on for years. They had a warehouse where they had designed this system and they've been testing this whole thing with no deadline, just knowing that the drive-through had not been reimagined in fast food for decades. And so they started working on it just as an ongoing project and COVID hit, and they were able to roll this out across the country and and with very little effort, improve all their drive-through efforts when they couldn't have anyone inside and, and continue just to grow through through that entire time. And so I think it, it speaks to exactly this. So they just said, hey, let's just spend the time to reimagine this. And when it gets done, it gets done. And it just happened that it got done at the perfect time, but it's That's because huge. they had set the space, they had created a place for it and and the time in order to be creative around, around the drive-through at, at restaurants. I, I love that. Um, I love that they were in that mindset and they allowed that to happen. I do think that's the future. I mean, AI is, is coming quick and we're all, we're all reinventing what it is to do our jobs, what it is to be in sales, what it is to be in marketing, what it is to be a creative, like all those yeah. All these jobs, any job you have, the way you do it now versus the way you do it five years from now will be different. It will evolve. And the part that will evolve the most is that the basic knowledge-oriented tasks will become more automated and we will become more creative. What we need from us will be creativity. But man, there's a lot behind that. It's not just understanding how to be creative and understanding how to create a, create a creative setting. There's culture at play here too, because mm -hmm. think about our reward systems. Think about our education oh, yeah. systems. Are we, are we promoting creativity the way we should? And I think that's, that's a even bigger challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a, that's a, a really deep cultural problem across, across the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I'm someone who, who has always done terrible in formal education settings. I mean, just, it wasn't my thing. I couldn't take tests well. I couldn't do this. But if you asked me a question, I could just spit the answer back to you. And, but the system made it that I had to do this in very specific ways. And so it wasn't until after I was out of college, out of all those things that I realized like, this is, this is how I can learn the best. And, you know, it's, I've read more books, I've taken in more information. And I think I've, I've done more since being out of the education system because I had the freedom to do it the way I needed to. I mean, how that's, that's amazing. And you just think like how many people don't feel successful during their school. They don't feel, they don't feel like they have something um, to, 
to offer the world because they're not getting good grades or whatever. And, and in reality, they're just stuck in a system that's not rising, raising up those, those skills that they have. Yeah. You know, and that's from a workplace standpoint, it's, it's the idea of people over process. It's, there obviously is a way we need to do things and things need to get done. But if there are ways that people can go, Hey, this is better for everybody. And just cause it's not your way doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's different. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Well, this has been a really fun conversation, Doug. Love it. Oh, awesome. Well, Doug, where can uh, people find more about you and the podcast and all, all the work that you're doing? Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Uh, well, of course, I, I work for OFS. So OFS.com is where you can find more about OFS. Imagine a place will be anywhere that you get your podcasts. And uh, the best place to reach me, I would say, is on LinkedIn, because that's where I do most of my sharing. I'll share insights, articles, ideas, videos, all that stuff. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's really been a blessing to us and, and everyone who's going to listen to this. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. You're, you're a joy to speak with. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to the Whole Brand Podcast. We hope you got a lot out of today's conversation. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and takeaways from today's content. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a comment so other people can find the Whole Brand Podcast. Together, let's make our brands a household name.